It's multiverse for the birds. <laughs> Shattered Temple in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 98 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the short-lived and well-loved campaign setting, Planescape. But first, the crew of His Enduring Light puts the trade in Rogue Trader in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. Finally. And later, Fall from Grace kisses her enemies goodbye just to see what it feels like in the Character Creation Forge. So, just a reminder, TP t-shirts are available on TeePublic for $20 in a variety of sizes, women's and men's, and other goodies. Also, the second part of the annotated history of Brand Talandro is currently up uh, over at Tribality. Thank you again, Sean Ellsworth, for posting that. Uh, for those of you who may not have seen the first part, Shane and I have gone through our old emails uh, and G-chats and compiled the conversations that we had when Shane was planning his character for the Morning Glory campaign that I ran, uh, and we have decided to share that with you as a thank you for listening for 98 whole episodes. Yeah, and uh, also thank you to Sean Ellsworth at Tribality for continually saying yes to our ideas. <laughs> no matter how dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and last thing before we get into it, uh, for episode 100, as you may have noticed, is a bit of a milestone. Uh, we're going to do another mailbag episode. So please send in your questions to totalpartythrill at gmail.com or hit us on Twitter or actually probably best if you email us because I won't lose them. But any ideas that you have or questions that you have for us about our campaigns or about how to fix a problem in your campaign or... How to cause a problem in your campaign. That too. Uh, how you should build a character. I don't I don't care. Just anything you want us to talk about for a bit. Uh, episode 100 is our thank you to you. So uh, we will do that. We will also have a couple announcements. So I don't know. Maybe listen. Speaking of, I guess, not listening. Shane, where are we at the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our... Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy's second edition by Fantasy Flight Games. And in the game, uh, our rogue traders have arrived on the feudal world of Gontelgrim after a brief but harrowing detour as captives of a Dark Eldar raiding party. The garbage world of Gontelgrim after a harrowing flight through the warp caused by our navigator, Flare. Incompetence, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you arrive, and uh, you are greeted by the Duke of Lianasport, the capital city of Gontelgrim, and uh, he's accompanied by an Imperial Guard colonel, Colonel Sturm, and a commissar, Commissar Herc, which is a bit of a surprise to you guys. Uh, didn't know the Imperial Guard were here. Yeah, we thought it would be knights on horseback. Which it, it is. They have <laughs> lots of primitive weapons not very many guardsmen as it turns out 
which you find out when you split the party after making all of the formal introductions and, and whatnot uh, befitting, you know, traveling nobility such as yourselves. You receive an invite to a feast that evening in your honor as off-world uh, arrivals. And yes. then... Like, finally, this is what we're due. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> we actually never turn down a banquet. <laughs> For good reason. It's, it's been a recurring theme. Yeah, we don't get a bunch of banquets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you guys have some free time. So you split the party. Half of you go with the Imperial Guardsmen to their tactica to understand the situation planet-wide. Um, you know... There's a lot of orcs. There's orcs. Yeah, that's not good. And the Dark Eldar rating hasn't been helpful. So that's a little bit of roguing. And then the other half go to do a little trading. It's a yes. nice little dichotomy you guys got going that's on. That's what they're built for. So Trix, Echo, and Flair go to look for a merchant who is shady enough to make a deal with you guys. Because you're not exactly good rogue traders. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason we're way out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you're a little shabby chic in the rogue <laughs> trading community. <laughs> We need to go somewhere where nobody knows us. Right. So you are looking to trade the excess ration bars from the agri-world Nova Bella that you started the campaign at uh, in exchange for some ag equipment. It's kind of a futures trade. If they can get the ag equipment to modernize their practices, they'll easily make their imperial tithe and have all this excess with which to send elsewhere within the imperium. And... The goal for the merchant that you meet, whose name is Shah, he thinks that that will free up more imperial citizens to fight. And if they fight, they can push back the orcs, and then they can reclaim their minds, and then they'll become a richer and uh, safer feudal society because they'll have more weapons. And safer societies are more productive societies. Uh, yeah, yeah. And more exploitable societies. I think what it is is that more productive societies get more attention from the Imperial Guard and therefore are safer societies. <laughs> In any case, there's a profit to be made for the right middleman. Right. So Shah agrees. He, he claims to have the noble contacts you need in order to get that sort of deal initiated. And you figure, okay, that's one way, and then we'll see how dinner goes. And between the two of us, maybe we'll find some deal that makes sense. So we get ready for dinner. We put on all our fancy clothes, like the the rogue trader garb. You know, it's like it's close to noble garb that as we have. Yeah, well, except for Flair. Flair actually has oh, yeah, noble right. garb because he's a navigator. <laughs> and it's actually like in good condition because he preens it constantly. Uh, and because he has a, a retinue that takes care of it. Yeah, the rest of us is like, oh, mm, I guess I really should have aired this out more. Yeah. Moths. I always imagine like Echo has all of her shirts have ink stains on them and she found the <laughs> least ink stained shirt. <laughs> Doc found the shirt that best conceals all of his illicit augmetics. It's okay. Trank is just all his clothes are covered in las burns right <laughs> and well, bolter blowback I, I mean trank and draco probably have dress uniforms that are uh several years out of right fashion. yeah <laughs> when was the last time we were actually in the navy right <laughs> <laughs> also of dubious rank <laughs> i don't know wait are those stripes sewn back on yeah exactly after being ripped off oh those medals they look like they're wrapped around <laughs> chocolate <laughs> Uh, at any rate, you do depart for uh, for dinner. Once you're escorted there, 
you make your entrance. You are relieved of your weapons, but announced grumble, grumble. as the guests of honor of this feast. And you enter into a grand hall. Uh, it's got huge vaulted ceilings. It's the the ceiling have like glow globes that are somehow suspended, kind of giving the uh, appearance of like stars in the night sky. And then you've got these very tall, backlit stained glass, like almost murals, like created uh, depicting scenes of imperial triumph. And and you're in what is obviously the one of the most luxuriously appointed rooms. Uh, on this planet and inside is a long table set for at least a hundred guests as well as a good number of those guests uh equally dressed to the nines a noble garb and kind of arranged a little bit by color uh maybe classified by house and they all turn to sort of greet you and you become the stars of the evening oh no this is a social encounter (laughs) (laughs) and we'll find out how long it took you to put your foot in your mouth next week so this week we are continuing our series on campaign settings and we are finally talking about planescape now if you haven't heard uh part of the series before the purpose of these episodes is to give you a relatively brief primer on a popular campaign setting so that you and your group can decide if you want to play a game in that setting. So, Ishin, you're the only one here qualified to give the elevator pitch <laughs> for Planescape. Well, as the name implies, Planescape lets players experience all the strange offerings of the D&D multiverse. So you could have a pit fiend who is acting as your bartender. Or you could have an entire session where the party is trying to explain carefully how to have fun to a creature that is made out of pure order. Uh, or, or maybe that you don't, you just decide you're going to sail down the river Styx to find someone's lost soul. Um, you know, you got to drag it away from the demons and the devils fighting uh, eternally in the blood war. Uh, I think... If that doesn't help, uh, purists on both sides may chafe a little bit at this comparison, but it's kind of like playing D&D in Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Huh. Well, I guess like any good compromise, no one leaves happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of Planescape, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, And I think the other thing that sits at the center of all this excitement uh, that really makes Planescape iconic is the City of Sigil. Yeah, it's uh, one of the sort of two general locations that uh, you can play in, in in the Planescape setting. And it's just so different from anything else that you really get in D&D. I think part of that actually stems from the way that Planescape was created. Yeah, so it was amazing as we were looking up the details of this to talk about it for this episode... I couldn't believe Planescape only really ran for four years. Yeah, I had actually forgotten that too. I was like, oh, right. Like, it was barely, it was a blip. Yeah, really. like, it was only second edition, and it wasn't the first or the last part of second edition either. It was right in the middle. Yeah, and we compared that to something like Forgotten Realms, which has been going on forever. Greyhawk, Greyhawk. right. <laughs> Even Eberron has had a much longer life. It has, yeah. So... It debuted in 1994, and this is sort of, I guess, ironic, or is it? It's like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> Greasy rain. You, you decide. 
if that's ironic or not. <laughs> we can kind of thank the satanic panic of the 1980s for the existence of Planescape in a sort of weird roundabout way. So in first edition, people absolutely loved the Manual of the Plains. Uh, that was the book that had all the weird, crazy creatures of the upper and lower planes. So like demons and devils and angels and devas and solars who are all sort of fighting against each other on uh, planes outside the, the material plane, you know, the outer planes. But the fears of the occult that sort of exploded onto the scene in the 80s led TSR to move away from using any phrases like demon or devil because it just freaked people out. By the early 90s, the satanic panic had pretty much died out, but there still hadn't been a second edition version of the Manual of the Plains. So finally, TSR turned to designer David Cook, who had been there forever. Uh, No relation to Monty Cook, by the way. And he was told to create a new campaign setting with really, really specific parameters. Yeah, so it needed to focus on the planar material that was sorely lacking from second edition. Uh, It needed to be a place where low-level characters could have adventures without immediately getting killed. Couldn't be Dark Sun. (laughs) And then it could not mention devils or demons. Yeah, so if you think about it, the material from the Manual of the Plains... And I think this continues through in most editions of D&D is like once you go planeswalking, that's high level stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like as soon as you show up, uh, like the Baylor is just going to kill you immediately if you're low level. Right. Or you end up on the elemental plane of fire where there is no air to breathe. And also you're just constantly on fire. Right. Two rounds later, dead. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea was that people wanted to have adventures in these places but you didn't want to have to wait until you were like 12th level to be able to do it. And so the result was Planescape, which, as we said, is based in general in Sigil, the City of Doors, which is this metropolis at the center of the multiverse that it's it's a city like with breathable air and, you know, real normal gravity. So it gives a, a place where low level characters can explore in a relatively safe kind of way. And at the same time, it still allows access to all of the infinite planes. Instead of calling demons demons, they were recast as Tanari, the like yeah. ab- abyssal word for demon. Right. <laughs> Who were uh, creatures that were made of the stuff of the planes of chaos and evil. Yeah, and devils became Beatazu, which were the evil version of law, which now holds true of both demons and devils in modern D&D. Yeah, so David Cook was basically using code words. Yeah. Just so people who still may have been on the lookout for evil D&D didn't get freaked out. Yeah, stay stay away from your pearls. (laughs) So after that, a slew of products came out, uh, filling out the player options, which we talked quite a bit about in our episodes on how to play Tieflings and how to play Dijanasi, because, of course, both of those came out of Planescape as well. And some of D&D's really most beloved adventure paths came out of Planescape. And these are the ones that we know Monty Cook for. So the great Modron March, which was this crazy planes hopping madcap adventure where you were chasing after these like, denizens of the plane of like ultimate law as they sort of like jogged across the multiverse on yeah. a weird... Lemming-ish march. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying to like gather information and also not die as quickly right (laughs) and then dead gods which we've referenced before which sort of details the 
machinations of Orcus and trying to take over the multiverse. And then die, Vecna, die. Uh, which is the machinations of Vecna right. trying to take over the multiverse. By the way, don't don't grab that eye. Don't grab that hand. <laughs> the head, though. The head, that's real. Yeah. You do that. Use the head of Vecna. Yeah, so in 1997, Wizards of the Coast bought out TSR because uh, TSR was struggling financially and then began to plan for third edition of D&D and Monty Cook moved on to third edition and Planescape kind of stopped. Right. As was the way of things at the time, Wizards decided to kind of end the setting. So they released two modules, The Faction War and Die Vecna Die, which both really upended the status quo in Sigil and sort of turned the entire setting on its head and gave sort of a curtain call for uh, many of the characters in the setting of course D&D always seems to have very bad luck with these kinds of things so the setting is ended the modules make it so that none of the old stuff is actually usable and then nobody <laughs> told old Bioware <laughs> because Bioware released Planescape Torment one of the best third person isometric RPGs period and people loved it and suddenly there were so many more new Planescape fans, and the setting was dead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the main character of that was the Nameless One, and uh, sort of what the hallmark of Planescape Torment was that there was legitimately no wrong way to approach the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people could play without ever getting into a fight. People could, you know, be very bellicose or you could kind of take anywhere along. And the the game really responded to it. And a lot of the NPCs had their own kind of meta story that really resonated with players. Yeah, I think one thing that I really loved about it being uh, a min-maxer was that the way to have the most fun with the game was to pump your mental stats, yeah, yeah. not your physical ones. Yeah, that was always like the easiest way through was to never fight. Yeah, even though you were playing a character who couldn't stay dead even if he wanted to. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about the setting. Let's kind of run through the highlights that really define Planescape. Well, like you said about the video game itself, I think one of the main reasons people really love it is the emphasis on conversation because it's taking place on the outer planes where belief itself is made manifest. So what your character thinks directly influences what is actually true and then what actually happens. There's a scene from the video game actually that illustrates this really well. You can get into a conversation with a man and then some of the dialogue options let you try to convince him that he actually doesn't exist. And if you, you succeed, he disappears because he ceases to exist. That seems powerful. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that happens in Sigil. Yeah. So like we said before, there are two general places that you can adventure in a Planescape game. The first, of course, is Sigil, the city of doors, the center of the multiverse. It's located at the top of the Infinite Spire at the center of the Outlands, which happens to be the uh, plane of neutrality. It's shaped like a torus, which is like an empty donut. So the city is on the inside of the donut, sort of like think of a, an inner tube or a, a tire. It's on the inside surface. There's no sun or moon, there's just light that waxes and wanes depending on the hour. Uh, sometimes greasy rain falls from the sky. It, it's like entirely a city and sort of like a 
Victorian. It's a Dickensian city. Yeah, definitely. What it is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, if you're standing on the street and you look, you know, to the right or the left, you can see the street sort of arc up as the uh, walls slash floor sort of like curves back in on itself. And you look, if you look up, you can see more buildings. Yep. And then it's filled with that Victorian style, right? It would be steampunk if it had any steam. Um, it's uh, it's it's filled with Cockney slang, which is unique to Planescape. It was one of the things that we talked to Monty Cook about when when he was on the show. Yeah. Uh, probably the most similar thing is the way that the orcs in 40k talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's an opportunity if you really want as a GM to practice your your voices. You know. Yeah. Point it, you clueless Burke, for a shut your bone box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What? <laughs> it means shut up, guy who's not from around here, before I make you shut up. Nice. Then another thing that defines Sigil is that uh, any sort of bounded area, be it like a window or a door, just like uh, a circle that you form with your hands, has the potential to be a portal to some other plane. Right. It's called the City of Doors because... It manifests doors to other places. Right. So every other plane in D&D can potentially have a portal to Sigil, and Sigil can potentially have a portal to anywhere that a GM or a party wants to go. Except Dark Sun. Oh, yeah, right. Except Dark Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you decide that there's one way into Dark Sun. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's a diverse metropolis where... You could have angels and devils sharing the same street. You could be waiting in line to buy food next to a slotty. Uh, everyone is more or less kept in line by the infinite power of the Lady of Pain, who is this unspeaking, emotionless, like floating woman, I guess. She has a face ringed with blades. Uh, anyone who accidentally falls beneath her shadow is flayed alive. Yeah, she... um she's not really an NPC as much as she is an idea of yeah. an NPC. Uh, you can't interact with her is kind of the whole deal. Yeah. She is the embodiment of the GM sort of in the same way that like AO is in uh, forgotten realms. Yeah. She keeps uh, what are called powers out of the city. That's the planescape word for deity. So inside sigil, no deity is allowed. Right. Uh, and she keeps general order. So, you know, if uh, Baylor gets a little unruly and kills a few people, fine. But if he starts going on a rampage and causes a ruckus and starts knocking some buildings down, the lady's probably going to just kill him instantly or, like, send him away to one of her mazes. Yeah, and then in addition to keeping uh, <laughs> law and order, <laughs> she also causes all of the chaos because she has... <laughs> absolute control of the city and all of its portals and its layout and uh, basically how everything is arranged. So she has uh, unspeaking servants that repair and rebuild and rearrange things constantly. Yeah, there's some of my favorites. They they don't speak, but they above their head, uh, rebuses appear, and that's how they communicate. <laughs> like that's, that's Planescape. It's weird and it's wacky. And so it's full of all of the different creatures from those planes uh, that leave their planes and go somewhere. They go to Sigil. Right. Um, And then, of course, there are also humanoids, right? People who are native to prime material planes end up in Sigil as well. And some of them make their home there and eventually 
they have children, they're born there, and those are called planar humanoids, as opposed to the the primes, which is kind of a derogatory term, although not quite as derogatory as the clueless, which is what <laughs> they call people who don't understand planar travel or what it's like to be hanging out here in a place where belief is real. Right. Like most other cities, uh, there's distinct districts. Each have their own character, right? The noble ladies' ward or the hive that has the slags, which I guess you can probably imagine isn't a very nice place. Yeah. But the real divisions in the city come from the factions. This is one of the things that Planescape is really known for. The factions mirror real-world philosophy, but it's as if you took those philosophies and cranked them up to 11. Because remember, you're living in a place where belief is reality. So as these factions battle for adherence between each other, the rules of the multiverse can actually shift in accordance with how many people believe a certain thing. So we mentioned them already, but this is a clueless. Right. They're not really a faction per se. They're sort of factionless. Right. It's quite possible that uh, many of the PCs could be clueless. And that, that's a nice storytelling element for the GM because you need someone to explain to the characters themselves what in the hell is going on. And then you, at the same time, can explain to your players what the hell is going on. Right. Then there's the, uh, the Athar who don't believe that deities are deities. Just that, you know, they don't have unlimited power, so get bent. Yeah. Uh, my fourth edition character in Angelo's game was an Athar. We were playing actually the Nentir Vale, and I just was like, yeah, but I want him to not be from there because I don't really like the Nentir Vale. Yeah. So, like, he was from Sigil, and he got drunk and fell through a portal in a bar <laughs> and ended up in the Nentir Vale and couldn't get back. <laughs> he, he fell into a whiskey. That's exactly what happened. Although I'm pretty sure I think it was actually like a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the believers of the source who uh, believe that life is a test and that they're reincarnated and that anyone can become a god. There's the bleak cabal, sometimes known as the bleakers or the madmen. They're kind of like existentialists or nihilists. They think that no belief system has merit. Um, so they need to find their own meaning. There's the Doom Guard, which believe in uh, entropy and and deify the concept of things falling apart. I love that the the Doom Guard, like if there is some sort of spectacular act of creation somewhere in the multiverse, like uh, the creation of a demiplane or something, like maybe your 15th level caster might do with the demiplane spell. Mm-hmm. They feel the need to then go out and destroy something in order to balance that out. There's the Dustmen, the Debtors. You might remember these from the video game. They think that both life and death are false. Like Neither of them is uh, real life. That there's a state of true death that can only be achieved by completely denying the self. It's a bit like trying to achieve nirvana and becoming one with nothingness. They're uh, really depressing. Yeah, I'm bummed out already. <laughs> they run the morgue. Yeah, naturally. Uh, Then there's the Fated, who believe that the possession of power implies the right to own that power. Yeah, might makes right. Um, I had a Planescape character that had been at one point a member of the Fated, um, you know, the Takers. Uh, But he got kicked out after a Solar geshed him to be a good guy. (laughs) <laughs> and then the Fated were like, well, now you won't take stuff, so like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> then there's the Fraternity of Order, the Govnas, who believe that knowledge is power 
and they learn to uh, exploit the natural laws of the universe. There's the Free League, the in-depths. They uh, don't believe in bureaucracy or hierarchy. Um, they think individual freedom is the, the best thing going. But also they're not really good at sort of like gathering together into a coherent faction. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like libertarianism if there was no party. <laughs> well, I would contrast contrast this to the Revolutionary League, you know, kind of based on uh, real life anarchists. They want to destroy all of the other like man-made laws and social order, but they all disagree with each other as well. So like they're they're barely a faction. <laughs> Uh, then there's the Harmonium, who believe that peace and stability are only established under uh, a single source of, of rule. Theirs. Yeah, the Harmonium is usually pretty good. Uh, like, they'll hire a party to, like, go do something or bring in, like, a criminal or something like that. And they're useful as, like, mercenaries. Uh, but they're not creative in any way. Right. <laughs> um. Their nickname is the Hardheads, but don't say that in front of them. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that. One of my favorite factions is the Mercy Killers uh, because their name is just uh, such a misnomer. So they believe in, in justice and vengeance. Uh, but Mercy Killer doesn't mean that they kill out of mercy, but they want to kill the concept of mercy. So people who are merciful, they feel should be punished. And so sometimes they go out and do that. <laughs> Then there's the sign of one, the signers, who are the, the solipsists who believe that everyone is the center of their own reality. So you mean they're the ones who are correct? I, I mean, kind of canonically, yeah, right? <laughs> like, like the idea that you can just reshape the world around you based on what you believe. I mean, that's actually how the multiverse works. You got to believe it hard enough. Right. Like Naruto. Yeah, <laughs> There's the sensates, the society of sensation, who believe that they really need to experience everything in the multiverse. And that's the only way to sort of become one with the multiverse. They do not communicate telepathically. No, unfortunately. And then there's the transcendent order, who believe that by tapping into the cadence of the planes and uh, acting through instinct, they can achieve a higher state of being. Basically, yeah. they're in tune with nature, man. Yeah, they're they're kind of weirdos because you'll meet a cipher and they, they will try to like respond without thinking. Right. Right. I'm supposed to do this in a natural way, right? Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Oh, oh no, God, they end up being kind of random, although not as random as these Zawa sects, the Chaos Men, who, of course, basically nearly worship the idea of chaos. The one of the funniest things is coming across. Um, a chaos man who has got it into their head that like people are expecting them to be chaotic. Mm -hmm. So they try to act really normal because that's the most chaotic thing that you could do. Right. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> planning for you to be unpredictable, man. <laughs> Just be predictable. So like we said before, um, wizards really tried to end the setting. So the faction war uh, module set all of the factions against each other against each other and a lot of them were destroyed at the end of that module so honestly i kind of really prefer to just ignore that module altogether because yeah. it's way more fun to like play around with all the factions or have uh, your character belong to one of them or previously belong to one of them just set it back a few years yeah <laughs> haven't gotten there yet it'll be fine but the other place that you can adventure in planescape are 
The Plains. Huh. So, Ishan, what are some of your favorite planes? But I, I just love them all. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> um, all right, so, well, it's hard to pick because there are, again, so many of them. Um, the structure of the multiverse in Planescape, and I think now officially in 5th edition, is what's called the Great Wheel, which is almost like a, a compass. Yeah. Like if you look at um, alignment, which is very important in Planescape, you've got law and then moving over toward, you know, you move sort of up toward good and then you keep moving clockwise and you get to chaos. And then, you know, at the six o'clock position is evil and then back around to law. Right. Uh, so if you sort of place planes on on this clock face, each of the planes corresponds to a different alignment or like a place in between different alignments. Right. And it is made up of the substance of those alignments and the people or the creatures that live there have uh, those kind of inclinations. And then you have the outlands, which are the neutral lands uh, ringed by gate towns that lead between the planes. Yeah. And then, you know, Planescape has the inner planes, which... uh, most people might know sort of the uh, the elemental planes, right? Fire, earth, air, water, negative, positive. And then all of the in-betweens as well, ash and magma and vacuum. Right. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of like space dedicated to those planes uh, in the original Planescape campaign setting, but it's not like you could really adventure there much because canonically they're sort of featureless expanses of one particular element, right. you know? Just like an infinite plane of water, and stuff living in water. Okay, well, yeah. what are we going to do here? I hope we don't run out of air. <laughs> right, and, that, and that's really about it, you know? So I think the most interesting one are the outer planes, the alignment-based planes. And, of course, the the least interesting of those are, like, the good, the goody two-shoes planes, right? Like, Mount Celestra, it's lawful good, and that's where, like, the Devas and the Archons live, and that's where Bahamut and Moradin make their homes. Yeah, I'm already bored. I do like Bytopia. It is sort of between neutral good and lawful good. It's also really nice because there's like gnomes and things, but it's two planes kind of sandwiched on top of each other. So it's like this flat paradise with these mountains that grow up. And then above you, you look up and there's another sort of upside down flat paradise. And some of the mountains sort of connect into large columns. And you can just like walk from one end to the other. That's called a cave. Yeah, a little (laughs) bit, but there's no sides. Right, right. (laughs) So I love Limbo, uh, which is the chaotic neutral plane, the plane of ever-changing chaos. It's where, like, uh, Slod and Githzerai come from. Well, I love that the the Githzerai live there because they're so lawful. They sort of see it as a test. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's just, I I feel like there's a lot of lore that came from Limbo that's really neat. Mm Mm-hmm. There's, of course, uh, the Abyss, which is familiar to pretty much anyone who plays D&D. That's where the Tanari, the demons, are from. Carceri, which is where liars and cheats and traitors go. It's where the Yugoloths hang out. And the Grey Waste of Hades, where the color drains from everything. And you get really sad and don't really like to do anything. So you get stuck there. I actually took um, the idea for what would happen in the Mornland from uh, the Grey Waste. Ah. Uh. Bator the Nine Hells, that's where Tiamat lives, uh, as well as Asmodeus and most of the Be- of the Beatazu. I also like Acheron, Acheron, the Infernal Battlefield. It's like lawful, neutral, lawful, evil. It's basically constant war. Um, 
where like you lose yourself to just fighting for no reason. Yeah, and I love that like it's basically just empty space and then there are these giant iron like cubes that just sort of float like an asteroid field and occasionally smash into each other. And of course anything on those two like flat sides, like it could be two armies fighting, or I guess four armies fighting, you know, two on each just get smashed flat yeah it's where like the goblins and the orc gods and all of them are located right like just like useless wasteful fighting (laughs) (laughs) i love uh mechanis the clockwork nirvana which is just a plane of giant intersecting gears and that's where the modrons live which are just boxy cube-like creatures well I, i guess a certain kind of modron um they're made of the stuff of law and canonically they're God is Primus, the sort of ultimate pinnacle of of Modrons, which is, of course, where I stole the idea for Primus uh, from the Morning Glory campaign. Yep. Wholesale, really. Yep. Sure did. So let's talk about the themes that a Planescape game typically touches upon. So I think because belief is so critical to Planescape, uh, physical strength becomes less important than inner strength. Yeah, like if you are standing next to a Baylor or a demigod, it doesn't really matter how strong you are. They can just kill you. So the only thing keeping them from doing that is probably the conversations that you're having with them. Can you best them in a game of wits? If you're facing a six-armed Merolith and each hand has a scimitar in it, you'd really better have a good reason that you're here or she's just going to murder you. Yeah. Like it, maybe she's bound by a higher power. Maybe you're coming to find answers from her. Uh, maybe you brought a present because you were smart. Right. And if it seems like there's so many high-level things running around, you know, like how how is this not deadly to low-level characters? Um, I think that's be, it, that gets back to that belief thing, right? And, and the power of belief um, makes it so that your choices matter. And not just what choice you made, but what you believe about that choice matters. Like choosing to make a good decision or choosing to make a lawful decision or a chaotic decision, right? Those are actual substances uh, within the multiverse. So there's physical effects that manifest as a result of what you've chosen to do. Yeah, it's kind of an old school view of alignment. You know, demons are literally made up of a substance called chaos and evil which is of course why they like ping that way when a paladin detects evil right but it it offers an opportunity for role play in an environment like this because the races that pcs can typically play are mortal which means that they are made of flesh and they can choose how to act it isn't simply in their nature to act in a particular way yeah it's interesting that like in a setting where alignment is real and alignment is manifest, like player characters are the ones who shouldn't have an alignment, right? They should be making decisions that create their alignment. Right. You don't necessarily need to pick it at the beginning. Like it gets handed to you depending on the actions that you choose to do. Right. Also, a Planescape game is almost always about being a fish out of water like everything is weird and new and nothing is fully explainable like the planes are infinite and things change all the time and i think part of the reason it feels like that is the original artwork done by tony de terlizzi and dana knutson is really like a cross between dr seuss and hieronymus bosch like if the cat in the hat uh was strung out on heroin and also like 
made of like weird saguaro plants mm-hmm. and hanging out with the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, how charming. <laughs> what what an, what an afternoon for tea. <laughs> like I highly recommend like buying the PDF copies or like going to an an old uh gaming store and just like looking through the art of some of these books. It really like makes it clear how weird the planes are. Actually, there's a cool Planescape bundle on Drive Through RPG right now. Uh for like 15 bucks you get like six books, including all the second edition core books, which means it's actually immediately playable, which is kind of cool. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. But yeah, and then I also think a neat part of this is just when you go to other planes and there are, you know, creatures there are caricatures of their alignment, Mm -hmm. you're the alien one, right? Like, you're the one who can't commit to a cause. You're the one who's flighty and, like, noncommittal and random. You're the agent of chaos no matter where you go just because you have choice. Yeah, like when you are hanging out on Elysium and like the peasants there are like, you know, farming the fields, which are bountiful all the time because it's sunny when it needs to be and it rains when it needs to. uh, They're really confused as to why you would even be tempted to steal something. Right. Because they just don't feel that. They're made of good. Exactly. All right. So let's briefly run through some of the races that have come out of... uh of Planescape and keeping in mind that many of them still exist. So we don't really need to cover them in too much depth. Well, we talked about it before. There's the tieflings. You can check that out in our tiefling episode and also the Genasi, which we also did an episode on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's the Bariar, which is like a half Ram person. Think a centaur, but instead of being a horse, you're a, you're like a Ram. Ah, uh, okay. Like a sheep, big yeah. horn sheep. Yeah. 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 There's the Githzerai, which we've already mentioned. They're like people with no noses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a whole race of monks. Right. <laughs> then there's also the Azamar, which are the sort of half-celestials. And then everything else, because everything else you're going to find in any monster manual or any player's handbook in any edition is going to show up in Planescape. Because every plane has a portal to Sigil. Right, right. Uh, speaking of everything, has a place in Planescape, uh, religion. Yeah, I find it interesting that it is one of the few settings where it's okay to not have a religion. Because, like, in the Forgotten Realms, if you don't have a religion and you die, you get stuck in the wall of the faithless. Well, not only that, but, like, you're an idiot because... Right, they're there they and, like, actually, they get offer power. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, in Planescape, because non-believing has power, like, you could actually be an atheist. You You could be an Athar. Yeah, or you can just sort of worship a general thingness out there. And guess what? You can cast spells. Right, right. You can also go hang out in your god's realm. Like, that's actually how some of the people ended up living on the plains is, like, they found a way to go to the plain where their god lives. They, like, walked up to the the front gates, like, to the pearly gates and was like, hey, Morden, we're here. Yeah. (laughs) And Morden was like, sure, come on in and let's drink some beer and, like, forge some stuff. Right. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I think in contrast to, well, no, I think similar to the Forgotten Realms, uh, gods exist and their realms and their followers are important, but they can be backdrop, right? Mm-hmm. Like they can be overarching plot points rather than NPCs. Um, I, you know, we we joke about Forgotten Realms a lot, and and that's because so many of the super high powerful 
characters do just come down to Faerun and start wrecking things. But um, I think a lot of those similar kind of plots of, you know, uh, Orcus is growing too powerful or Grumsh is gathering a, a, a huge war host or whatever, right? That that work in other settings work great in Planescape as well. So let's talk a bit about some plot hooks that you might use in a Planescape game. I think one of the most common ones and one that usually happens at low levels, like you're hanging out at a bar in Sigil and you're introducing your players to the setting, is you interact with a creature that has a weird outlook. One that like a real life human being has a hard time understanding. Yeah, I would love like to have like a pit fiend bartender overhear a conversation about like your hired help not being good. And then having like a discussion of management practices. <laughs> like, like I, don't, I don't understand. You, you paid him, right? Just whip him. <laughs> like, that's that's what the payment is that's for. What the money's it's, for. <laughs> you put that in the contract, right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? There's no written contract. You're an idiot. <laughs> he should kill you. <laughs> I mean. It should still fall under the, you know, uh, uniform commercial code, though. <laughs> <laughs> here, I've got a book. You have one of those here, right? <laughs> here, sign this tab. Right. <laughs> In blood. Um, I, I also think it, it works if you uh, put the characters in between two creatures that have sort of opposing outlooks, and they have to mediate or avoid becoming the uh, the collateral damage. Yeah, or it gives them an opportunity to talk to uh, those much more powerful creatures you know you maybe you have the pit fiend and then you also have like a traditionally aligned chromatic dragon Mm -hmm. who's also lawful evil but they just differ in their interpretation of the law right they're equally evil (laughs) right (laughs) i believe once i sit on it it becomes mine by possession (laughs) stupid faded You can also have the traditional uh, journey to hell and back. So your party is from Sigil, but one of the easiest way to get around the plains is to sail down the river Styx, which literally goes to the nine hells. Right. And, you know, why would anyone want to go there? Well, because there's something you need to get back. Someone's soul, some sort of artifact. You just need a MacGuffin reason for them to go to hell. Right. Um, I think especially for small groups or even solo campaigns, the the idea of like who are you, like what do you believe, can become a really powerful theme. You know, it can kind of be an exploration of um, a, sort of a fictional character's philosophy. Yeah, and this is a nice opportunity to give a reason for why your players might be playing these weird races, like a tiefling or a genasi. You know, like what does my fire nature mean to me about how I interact with the world. Right. Um, It also works super well as a way to transition between settings, right? Because everything connects through Sigil, it is very easy to take your Eberron game and then go jump into Forgotten Realms, right? Uh, Oh, we hit level 20. We've maxed out every humanoid here. Let's go find Elminster. Right. Because now, what are we going to do? We're going to crack open the multiverse and like figure out a way to go somewhere else. Exactly. And it's about as close as you can get to Spelljammer without actually having a Spelljammer. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there is the very traditional Save the Multiverse campaign. Because, well, 
you know, if Sigil breaks, the multiverse probably goes with it because it's probably the thing that's like keeping it from falling out of balance. This multiverse is worth saving. (laughs) Or is it? How do I feel about me and my place in this multiverse? (laughs) Let's get out of here. This multiverse is dead anyway. (laughs) I think in Planescape, like the, the crux of saving the multiverse would be convincing one particular random being that the multiverse is worth saving. Right. And that's what does it. Like, that's the thing that tips it onto the, yes, I I will not, like, spiral into into chaos. Right. So if you're going to adapt Planescape for 5e, um, it's best to really focus on using the language and conversations and philosophical beliefs that you get out of the old modules or the source books. Because... It's only 2nd edition, and the mechanics of 2E require a lot of work to port over to 5th edition. It's honestly probably easier to find something that fits thematically and just reskin it. Yeah, Um, and keep in mind that many NPCs are just monsters, and we actually have a decent number of these monsters available to us in 5th edition. Yeah, it's totally fine. You can just plop them in. It's fine if they're way too powerful for the party. They're not there to fight. Right. If you want people to play some of the special races, it's pretty easy to tweak like if you want a barrier i would just take like a for uh take out powerful build and throw in like a headbutt attack mm, interesting i would probably just take goliath and take out powerful build and add a headbutt attack no i'll just leave goliath <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh remember that in second edition the planes used to have a lot of mechanical effects, like the types of spells that were empowered or couldn't be cast there and what kind of gravity it had and what kind of like damage or penalties you took depending on your alignment relating to the alignment of the plane that you were on. That kind of minutiae doesn't really fit in with 5e, so I would focus on making the effect of being on a plane that doesn't fit with you really emotional. Like if you're on a plane of evil and you're like a good, happy-go-lucky, cheerful character... It just feels wrong to be here. No, I'm sorry. I'd go the exact opposite. I'd go homebrew every single one of those mechanics, and it doesn't have to be balanced. Oh, God. (laughs) You only go to, like, maybe two (laughs) or three planes in a session on a bad session, so you don't need to have all of them in your back pocket. (laughs) That sounds like so much work. It sounds like so much fun. (laughs) Why are you playing Planescape if you don't want to throw random effects into things? Wait, you were the guy who was like, no, don't make an Excel spreadsheet for languages. Yeah, this is a cost-benefit thing. (laughs) All right, yeah, if you want to use the old second edition tables that say, if you match on one alignment, you get a minus two, but if you you are mismatched on both alignments, like both axes, then you get a minus six. I wouldn't go, I mean, you don't have to go to that (laughs) level of granularity. Okay, okay. It's fine to just cause, like, you know, uh, creatures have advantage on saving throws against your spells and effects. So yeah, I think right? that like, that actually works really well in 5th edition. Is just, if you are lawful good, if you're a paladin and you're on a chaotic evil plane, um, you just you have disadvantage on all d20 rolls. Right. There you go. Yeah. Sucks for you. That's why, that's why the angels haven't taken this plane over. Exactly. Because it's awful to be here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but you do want to be careful in introducing long-term mechanical effects to alignment if you're players aren't used to that or if you you know if you haven't played old school D&D where alignment really mattered it might be sort of a shock i kind of like treating it almost like a science uh planescape sort of does that you know like 
you and this plane are oil and water mm-hmm. and that's why you don't get along and why you like have a, have a hard time casting spells yeah you should kind of have like a generous use of intelligence and wisdom checks to understand what the effects of a decision would be yeah and you know after the first time they get dumped onto a plane and like are useless and then they finally get out of there then maybe you encourage them to do some research about what ha- what actually happened right all right our traditional uh conclusion Ishan, would you play a game set in Planescape? No way, man. Me either. Yeah. Sounds like garbage. Yeah, I don't want to have to homebrew all those rules for planes. What? No, of course I would play a game in Planescape tomorrow. Yeah, wait, we have to have conversations instead of fighting? But maybe we still do some fighting? I'm I'm in. (laughs) Literally half of my characters have only been good at that. (laughs) Right, yeah, that's true, actually. And the half that weren't, I killed so I could get a character who was. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Half my characters have only been good at talking. The other half have been good at fighting and talking. So I know we started as like an Eberron podcast, and I think if we were getting another campaign setting in 5th edition, we'd vote for Eberron. But mm-hmm. absolutely, Planescape is very high up there. And, you know, elements of it can be used in any other campaign setting in any other game. So please give us more of that content. Agreed. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of me making every roll with disadvantage. Because I don't know if you know, but um, the Earth is definitely chaotic evil. I disagree, and thus it is not. (laughs) But I believe it harder. Uh, Challenge accepted. (laughs) We'll have to settle this in the Character Creation Forge. (laughs) But before we can do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPT Cast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week on the Character Creation Forge, we are building a beloved NPC from Planescape Torment. This is Fall from Grace, the Risen Succubus, and the proprietor of the Brothel for Slaking Intellectual Lusts. It sounds like a charming place to have a thought. Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, Fall from Grace is a succubus who, as opposed to her chaotic evil nature, uh, is nice and chaste and the only cleric you can get and so the only healer that you can get in the yeah. game <laughs> and she runs this uh quote unquote brothel as a member of the sensates where she helps people experience all kinds of things that they have never experienced before so she doesn't wear armor or weapons because she can't abide the touch of metal uh, but she's really good at lore skills, and she's got those succubus abilities, like she can wound with a touch, and of course, she can kill with a kiss. So we had to figure out a way to get succubus-like abilities into a traditional 5th edition character. Hmm. And what's the build, Ishan? Knowledge Cleric 3, Fiendish Tomelock 17. All right, so Cleric is going to give us expertise in two lore skills of our choice Mm -hmm. nature religion arcana or history and it gives us access to cure wounds plus also the goodies of uh, bless guidance i think fits very well with uh, her uh, lore abilities and then spells like bane and command are really in line with the abilities of a succubus right who's sort of built to tempt humanoids 
you also get the spell Inflict Wounds, which is sort of a wound with a touch. Exactly. And you can upcast that with your other slots, even though uh, you've only got three levels of Cleric. So from Warlock, you get Pact of the Tome. Now, these Sensates have these objects called Sensory Stones, where you can take a memory or an experience you've had and put it into the stone. And then anyone else can come up and touch the stone and then experience the same thing that you did. It's a way of, you know, sharing experiences so that you can gather, you know, every single experience in the multiverse. If that doesn't sound like a warlock's tome, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I like the idea of like, you know, you get the rituals from the tome, but the the way that she's using it is, you know, going to a sensory stone and sort of experiencing the knowledge in it Mm -hmm. in order to sort of tap into it. Right. So Fiend gets you Dark One's Blessing, which gives you a bonus when you reduce uh, enemies to zero. Dark One's Own Luck, which gives you a little bit of die manipulation, Fiendish Resilience, and Hurl Through Hell. Now, these powers I don't think are uh, packed with any kind of fiend you know she is a fiend herself so i I would play these as abilities that are coming just from her own nature right uh obviously she's gonna be a tiefling uh so she's already gonna have resistance to fire but fiendish resilience lets you pick something else uh you know relatively permanently which works perfectly with uh second edition demons who got who didn't get immunity to fire they got resistance to like i think it was fire cold and electricity yeah so Hurl Through Hell is another cool way to sort of get that that wounding touch of a succubus or, or even maybe a kiss of death kind of thing, right? Where you're just throwing on a lot of extra damage onto uh, a hit. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're going to get quote unquote spells, but I again think these work much better as her innate succubus abilities. So charm person, enthrall, hypnotic pattern, mass suggestion. Finger of death. Right. So... So the the kiss of death is is sort of tough to emulate because in second edition a succubus would uh, level drain, yeah. um, which didn't like straight up just kill you. But I think at low levels it like is well represented by a spell like ray of enfeeblement. But yeah, at higher levels certainly finger of death, and then of course at ninth level you're getting power word kill, which is just no save. I kiss you and you die. Right. Uh, you also can grab Dominate Monster, which is like an upgraded version of Enthrall, or Glibness, which is an interesting spell. Yeah, you're really built to be the epitome of capturing other people's attention. Yeah, and we don't... I, I mean, this is probably the first time we've ever mentioned Glibness on the show, actually. Yeah, or Hurl Through Hell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we've ever taken a Fiendlock this far. I Yeah, I like Hurl Through Hell so much as a as an flavorful ability and it sucks that the one time we actually get it on a character we strip the flavor of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean but okay by the time you get it you're level 14 maybe even level 17 i could see that she's basically using it effectively as banishment right you know right. like hey, get out of here oh you're back did you like it that's where i'm from yeah that's why i live here <laughs> Uh, so glibness though gives you a minimum of 15 on a charisma check and i think that does a really good job of offsetting the fact that we don't take any rogue here for expertise and persuasion but she's still amazing at it right she will consistently roll over 20 yeah Um, and then of course the other nice part of glibness is that no magic can determine if you're telling the truth or not seems fitting she keeps saying i love you i believe her (laughs) She just, she just wants me to buy something from her Amazon wish list. <laughs> and then she'll be with me. 
So I don't think we have to give a character background because as we've already established she's a succubus who uh, owns the brothel for slicking intellectual lusts. But we should beg for reviews. So if you would like to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we will read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? For episode 99, we're talking about character falls and redemptions. And in the character creation forge? We're building the curse breaker. Well, that's it for episode 98 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Wait, wait, what's the CCF? For next time. Oh, uh, con artist Trichter Roland Deshane from the Dark Tower, which I know nothing about. Same. I think he's a gunslinger. Baron Munchausen. Ha! Or Hercules. How the, how the f would we do Baron Munchausen? I mean, that's that's an interesting challenge. Uh, uh, I'm not what, up for it. How about Cursebreaker? Uh, we're doing character redemption. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. I dig it.